I would say today as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures and let the Bible always have your final say. It's, <laughs> it's been two decades, two decades since Jacob fled for his life from his brother who was comforting himself by killing him or with the thought of killing him. Yeah, I mean, there's just no part of that that just sounds good to me. And worse yet, he's a hunter. He doesn't seem to have a problem killing things, and he seems to be fairly good at it. Jacob has been awaiting a message from his mother that says, all right, your brother's anger has turned aside. You can come home now. She had sent him away with two concepts. One is to save his life. That was what she said to Jacob. To her husband, she said, this boy needs to marry a good Jewish girl. He needs to marry someone of our own family. So she sends him several hundred miles away to Aram in the area of Syria, Turkey today. And so you can flash that. Say so you can flash that, um, that map that will help us a bit to give you an idea of where we're at at the moment here. And this is what we read. Look at it with verse 1. And those, by the way, in those 20 years, he's gained himself two brides, both sisters. You can't have one sister of the other without the other being back. Anyway, and, and by, a really, by a man who really doesn't have a problem manipulating, lying, cheating. And boy, I tell you, Jacob has met his match. We read this in verse 1. Now Jacob heard the words of Laban's sons, saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's, and from what was our father's, he has acquired all this wealth. And Jacob saw the countenance of Laban, and indeed it was not favorable toward him as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your family, and I will be with you. Jacob had in the last chapter had finished working 14 years for his two brides. I remind you, it's been 20 years since Jacob showed up. And Jacob is the son of the girl who lived at that same area, the daughter of this family. And when a servant came there even longer than that ago, 60 years ago before that, he showed up with gold rings and gold bracelets. And this girl, it was a Cinderella story. She went to get water one day. And as she went to get water, she offered water to a foreigner and his camels. As she offered water to them, lo and behold, this guy starts strapping gold all over. And she pops into the house and says, look at all of my bling. Where did this come from? Oh, there's this guy and they left him at the well. And you could see them going, what would you leave that guy at the well for? And that guy takes the girl away. And lo and behold, it's a Cinderella story. She marries a man. Now, think about it. Now this girl that was in our household, she was your sister. She was your daughter. She was your cousin. Now, all of a sudden, she disappears. We haven't seen her now for 60 years. And in that period of time, now all of a sudden, her son shows up. What do you think when he shows up? I think, bling, bling, the last guy that showed up had lots of money. Well, this guy doesn't show up with all that. I remind you, he's fleeing from his brother. And as he's fleeing from his brother, he's just basically escaping for his life. And he meets this shepherdess named Rachel. And as he meets this shepherdess named Rachel, 
He does all of this strange stuff. I mean, imagine you being Rachel. You've never seen this guy before. He's obviously a foreigner. He rolls away the stone, which is culturally insensitive where they are. He kisses her and starts wailing his eyes out in front of you. And you think, now this just doesn't happen every day. And you go, oh, wait, this is you exactly what I'm looking for. And so somewhere in that, you can imagine dad looks at this and goes, well, this is the place to cash in. Well, the guy doesn't cash in. Instead, he's worked 14 years for the two girls. He isn't, money isn't getting sent to him. He's not getting lots of stuff. But now all of a sudden, all that the dad had, his name is Levan, all that the dad had now, all of those sheep tend to start moving over now to Jacob's side. And so instead of him, the dad thinking, I could really cash in on this, dad's really losing out on this deal. Now, the way he did it was simple. He said, look it, Jacob says, now that I've worked 14 years for your girls, now, you know, what is it, what is it going to take for me to finally provide for my family? And he, and he said, I'll tell you what, I'll take those sheep you don't want. So give me the streaked and the spotted. Give me the ones you, that, you, that obviously you don't even want to look at. I'll take those. But God continues to give them all of the sheep to be spotted and streaked. And so all of a sudden now, Jacob's got this giant herd of, of animals. And Laban's got the this, this scrawny little ones that you really wouldn't want to show off anyway. Now, with that, notice, though, in these first three verses, things have gone from bad to worse to worse, but Jacob still doesn't leave. Now, remember, ahead of him is a brother that still wants to kill him. He's not heard word from his mother. As a matter of fact, somewhere in all of this, his mom's going to die. So he's never going to see his mom again. So for 20 years, he's been waiting for a letter from mom. He's certainly not going to get one now. And so he's still waiting, thinking his brother still wants to kill him. And that'll be obvious in a couple chapters. Jacob, at this point now, is going, well, I don't want to go back there. My brother wants to kill me. But things are getting worse and worse and worse here. Now, maybe you've seen that in your own life, where you've been in a situation where things just keep getting worse and worse and worse. And you ask yourself, what do I have to do to get out of this situation? Now, some people, the moment it gets a little rough, they're gone. You know, the moment somebody clears their throat wrong and gives you a strange look. Well, notice, by the way, that's a couple of the things we see here. Jacob will ultimately say in these six years he's worked for him, you've changed my wages ten times. That's over one and a half times, roughly one and a half times a, a year that he's changing his salary. You know, he's going, well, look at all of the ones are spotted. And he goes, well, then we'll make them all streaked. You can have all the streaked ones. Then they're all born streaked. And he goes, oh, what did I mean, streaked? Oh, what I meant was... You know, and no matter what the, the, the dad says, that's the way the sheep are. So that Jacob keeps getting these sheep. But in all of that, he kept going, okay, now wait a minute. These guys are looking at me weird now. Is that enough? Am I out of this? And then my boss starts getting real weird with me. And he starts playing with my salary. Is that enough to get me out of this? Now, for some people, perhaps. But what I find interesting is it took verse 3 for Jacob to move. And what happens in verse 3? The Lord tells him. Now, understand something, please. The burden of communication is on God, not you. I remember younger in my faith, I used to think that God would send out these little sort of hints and signals, and if I couldn't figure them out, he'd blast me for not getting it right. What a sick person that would be if that was our God. Now think about it. If you were a dad, like I'm a dad, would you do that to your kids? I'm going to leave you a couple signals, and if you can't figure out what I'm telling you is clean your room from that. I mean, if you have kids, you realize you can say it plainly, and they think it's a hint. Wow, the room looks like a disaster area. You should clean this up. I wonder what dad means by that. But you know, God does that with us too, doesn't he? 
Because the issue is not in regards to our, and God knows how dumb we are, if you'll pardon me for saying. He knows how dense and adept we are when it comes to if God were to drop hints. And he's like waiting for some special secret, you know, here's my decoder ring. And if I could just, oh, I got it. You know, if I turn my ring the right way and the sun hits it at the exact moment, it's, it's like national treasure every time we open up the Bible. I mean, think about how goofy that would be as a relationship. And if that's the way we are, no wonder why the world thinks we're so goofy. You know, I've got this intimate relationship with him, but he speaks in hints, and I'm just out there waiting for the whistle in the trees, you know? Maybe a hummingbird will drop a dropping, and it'll be the image of where I'm supposed to go today. I mean, it's strange where we go with it, but we don't actually go, all right, Lord, what do you want? No, listen, God knows how to speak fluent you. That's just the bottom line. And in the end of it all, if God wants to speak Kofi, he'll speak fluent Kofonian, Kofinian or whatever. God wants to speak to Jeffrey, he'll speak fluent Jeffreyanian, you know. And that's the point of it, is that, it, you know what the strange thing is, and he'll tell you a different way than he'll tell me because we speak a little bit of a different language. But for some of us, God may have to go, hey, hey, hey. For some of us, he can whisper. Now, I've learned, by the way, the more open we are to his will, the quieter he can get. And when God has to clear his throat and yell, it's never pretty. Have you learned that? But if God can move you with a whisper, he'll never use a hammer on you. The only time God has to resort to stronger methods is when we are actually stiff-necked. I mean, just be honest. He'll never have to use a tool greater than is needed because he's the only one that knows to what degree he has to go with this. Now, Jacob, in this situation, it's gotten ugly, and so finally the Lord speaks to him. And, I mean, maybe you're in one of those situations. You're going, God, what do I do? When do I leave? When does this change? What is it going to take? And you're going, I don't hear anything. You know, what's funny is you're going, God knows this. I mean, let's be honest. You're going, God, you just say the word and I'm gone. You just say the word. So why haven't you spoken? Did you figure that one out? Because if God doesn't want you to go and if he cleared his throat and you were already out the door, he wouldn't speak to you if he didn't want you leaving. Did you get that? But please understand, God is not limited to a yes on your prayer. Have you ever, had, have you ever done this? I just keep praying the same prayer. I keep praying it, but God has not answered it yet. I, I'm, what are you praying? I'm praying for a car. I'm praying, but I'm not just praying for a car. I'm praying for a Humvee. I've been praying for a Humvee for 10 years. I just, since that baby came out, that big old, because it's boxy and the whole thing looked like drawn with a ruler. And I just can drive through. I could drive over landmines and that thing because, you know, there's lots of those in London. So I'm just, I'm just, I need, I need a big Humvee so I can take over both sides of the road here, right? So there's no place. I mean, so the cars have to pull over on the sidewalk. When I, mm, I just, and I've been waiting for 10 years, and God has not answered my prayer. I bet he has with no. You realize that's an answer too, right? I mean, can you imagine if that's what we're saying is, God, you can, I'm just waiting. You just say yes, and you can answer my prayer. God's going, I'm not going to say yes, but I'm going to answer your prayer because I don't want anything that's going to take you away from me. Interesting. In this situation for 20 years, we you know what's really sad. Is God will make, will make clear he's always been there. But Jacob will not pray one time in those 20 years. Isn't that strange? In the 20 years, he's got two, I mean, let's be honest, he's got two wives. Would that not drive you to prayer? And then he's got 12, I mean, I'm just going to be honest. He's got 12 boys. I mean, one boy would drive me to prayer. 12 boys! Well, he's got, I'm sorry, he's got, at this point, he's got 11 boys. He's got 11 boys and a daughter. I mean, you should be praying for the girl with 11 older brothers. I mean, think about this. I mean, I bet she's praying. I bet she's praying, oh my, look, I got 11 brothers. And they're going to kill Joseph, or pretend like they killed Joseph and all this. I would think, 
ooh, I need to pray. And I look at all this and I think, but nowhere in these 20 years, two decades, do we ever find Jacob getting on his knees and going, Lord, now what about now? And here's the beauty of God's grace in it. Even though Jacob has not been praying, God still speaks to him anyways. But Jacob hasn't earned that. Well, you've never earned anything God's given you except his wrath. And you should be thankful he hasn't given that to you or you wouldn't be sitting in front of me. I mean, think about it. All of a sudden, after 20 years of Jacob not seeking the Lord, the Lord speaks to him. Hey, Jacob, Jake, hey, 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 hey. And I think, how strange would that be? And I would think, well, gosh, I haven't fasted. I haven't prayed. I haven't been at church. I, haven't, I mean, you don't find any of that in this 20 years. But it says, then the Lord said, now go home. Return to the land of your fathers and to your family. But let me tell you one other thing, and this is the fundament of everything. I'll be with you. Now, please hear me out. If we understood what that really meant, that would be all we'd ever need to hear. Matter of fact, to be honest, we could actually go, you're a sinner, here's the cross, I will be with you at the resurrection. And, and that could be it. Everything else is detail. But you realize, this is the fundament to everything. Now, when Jacob says, well, wait a minute, my brother wants to kill me, God says, I'll be with you. Wait a minute, how am I going to get, how am I going to live? I'll be with you. But what about, you know, the, these sheep? I mean, what if we walk through desert area and they're going to all, I'll be with you. But I don't even know where to go. I'll be with you. But these people hate me. I'll be with you. That guy wants to kill me. I'll be with you. Do you realize it answers every question? Because see, Jesus isn't the great I give. He's the great I am. And that becomes the difference, friends. If he's the great I give, he doesn't have to be with us. He's just, all he has to be is available. God, I need protection. Well, I'm open from 12 to 6 today, so anytime you want to drop by during that time, I can give you a little bit of protection. God, I need a bill paid. Well, you can contact me on Sunday. I'll be there at church. You're just waiting for you. But if he's with us, first of all, and he is that, it's like, God, I need you to be my provision. Not give me provision. I need you to be it. I need you to be my protection. I need you to be my clarity. I need you to be my comfort. And I can tell you, that moment that I realized in John that Jesus said, I am and not I give, was one of the most revolutionary moments in my walk with Christ. Because it was at that moment I realized, oh my goodness, Jesus, if you were just the give, I wouldn't have the relationship I have with you. But because you are, I'm just going to cling to you and trust you. It's my only hope in this. And, and Jacob's in a place now, you think about it, strangely, he's wealthier than he's been since he's been on the lamb, and he's got a lot of them. And yet in all of this, think about it, he's never been more desperately in need of Jesus to be, for God to be everything that God needs to be here. So the Lord doesn't say, let me give you 15 details. This is the route, this is the way, you're going to get there in six days, and I just want you to know when it happens, you're going to meet a guy with a mule, and he's going to, I mean, all of those details, we would ask God. And the answer is the same. I'm with you. But Lord, if I take this job, what if my boss freaks out? What if he hears that I'm a Christian? I'm with you. Well, there's that girl and she seems to be interested, but I don't know about this whole Jesus. Look, at, I'm with you. But I feel so empty. I'm with you. But I'm still single. God says, I'm with you. I don't know where to go. I'm with you. Do you realize how important that is? And for Jacob, it's all he needs. God isn't going to spend a lot of time giving us what we want. He's rather give us what we need. And the problem is we will fight God as he's giving us what we need. So we won't take 
because we're too busy trying to get what we want. And if we got what we wanted, we wouldn't get what we needed. And that becomes the problem. Oh, God, please satisfy me. I'm with you. Hello? But God, if I, I, I need to. I need to. i got to make this of myself. i got to turn this. Uh, look, I'm with you. My marriage is messed up. I hope I'm with you. I hate the person I am. Well, I'm with you. So Jacob sent and he called Rachel and Leah to himself, to his field and to the flock. And he said, I see your father's countenance is not as favorable toward me as before. But the God of my father, notice, has been with me. Now that's important. That means that Jacob has looked back now at the last 20 years, even though he hasn't sought him in prayer, even though he hasn't been an example of godliness, and yet even in that, God has never bailed on him. And he's looked back and he's going, you know what I realize in this, in his 20 years, as rough as things are, I can play the nobody knows the trouble I've seen card, and oh, pity me, you know. And you, you, you get that, right? You ever see that a handful of Christians that just really want you to think about them, and they're like, let's just talk about the joy of the Lord. Okay, you start. Nobody knows the trouble I'm seeing. You know, and somebody's like, well, then why don't you tell me about, give me your testimony about the power of God. Well, my life's been miserable this week. I've been bitter, and Satan's been beating on my head, and I said, and it's like, Wow, I'm like, who wants to join that club? So how big is your God? Well, according to what I just heard is God makes you miserable and he allows Satan to beat up all over you and you're going to be... I'm like, well, wait a minute, where in that? So I'm like, yeah, adopt me into that family, please. And I look at this and Jacob looks back at the 20 years and he goes, yeah, it's weird. I mean, I live in this weird house with two gals, their sisters, and they're both my wife. And I've got 12 kids, not only because of them, but because of their maids. And that's weird. I mean, let's be honest, that's weird. And, and it's weirder because not only that, but the guy's been ripping me off. He's been changing my salary. And, and every time he says something, if he just said pink with polka dots, I'd add pink with polka dots sheep. It's weird. That's weird. And he's like, I mean, you can imagine how far do you go? I read every sheep that's got two heads are yours. I mean, think about it. He's like, whoa, another two-headed sheep. How strange. Okay, where do you go? You finally go, you know what? God's been with me. I'm going to I'm have to be honest. I can look at this one of two ways. One is, woe is me. Look how bad my 20 years have been. Or, wow, God's really been with me, even though I've been really a dutz in this. And he looks at these girls, and he goes, you know what, ladies? Perhaps I haven't told you this in two decades since all the time we've been married, but really, I'm, I'm kind of a God person, and I'm kind of religious, and God's really been with me. And what's interesting is, is the first person that seemed to notice this, by the way, last week, do you remember who that was? It was Laban. And here's the guy that was ripping off. He goes, you know, one thing I happened to notice, God's with you. You could see Jacob going, really? Oh, okay. <clears throat> and so he goes, look at, I see your father, but look at, God has been with me. Now, I know that with, all, now look at, verse 6. And you know with all my might I have served your father. Oh, yet your father has deceived me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not allow him to hurt me. Now, if God didn't allow him to hurt me, now understand there's a difference between God didn't allow him to think about hurting me versus God didn't allow him to hurt me. What that sounds like is Jacob has been in situations where Laban could have really messed him up and God intervened. Now, all of a sudden, this is starting to look a little bit more like David and Saul. He's like, you know what? Saul's chucking spears here. God's like, yeah, but I'll mess up his aim. I mean, you think, well, could you actually just put a feather in his hand instead of a spear? I'd rather have that. 
But, you know, isn't there times where you kind of wonder, why is it that the enemy seemed to have the artillery all of a sudden, and I'm actually the target? Now, how does that work out? Because every second you breathe there, you have to cry out to God. And if that's the only time you would cry out to him, why would he pull you out of that? If the most important thing is your relationship with him, and, he, and you won the lottery and you never talked to him again, why would he do that? You know, I mean, it's hard enough for my, my girls are like, I want an iPod. And I'm thinking, why? So I could listen to stuff with headphones. And I'm thinking, that's another moment you're not going to spend with me. You know, all right, I'll get it. But we're going to make sure we have time together. And I, and I think about that as I, and, and I'm an evil person like anyone else, but there's still a part of me that goes, I don't want to give you things that make you, take you away from me. God, I want to be, I mean, I, I had you to be with you. So look at, he didn't allow him to hurt me. Verse five, verse um, eight, I'm sorry. If he said, thus the speckled will be your wages, well, then the flocks were speckled. If he said, the streaked will be your wages, well, then the flocks came out streaked. If he said, two-headed pink polka dotted with seven legs, well, then they were two-headed pink polka dotted. Okay, that's not in the text, but that's the idea. Verse 9, it says, so God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. And it happened at that time when the flocks conceived that I lifted up my eyes and I saw in a dream. (coughs) Excuse me. And behold, the rams which leapt about... Upon the flocks were streaked, speckled, and gray-spotted. And the angel of God spoke to me in a dream, and he said, Jacob, and I said, Here I am. And he said, Lift up your eyes now and see. All the rams which leap on the flocks were streaked, speckled, and gray-spotted. I've seen that Laban's ripping you off. Or as we see, I've seen all that Laban is doing to you. But how does God address himself? Interesting. Look at verse 13. He says, I'm the God of Bethel. Now, why is that important? Because Jacob, on his way fleeing from his brother, had this radical encounter with God in Genesis 28. So since you have your Bibles open, or if you have your phones on, flip to the part of your app where it turns you to chapter 28 for a moment. Verse 12. Jacob is now freshly fleeing from his brother. Every crackle, every footstep must sound like someone ready to kill him. Think about that for a moment. I mean, you ever have somebody actually really want to beat you up? You remember what that was like if you actually went to a school where kids did that? That was actually, I mean, I think we all had some form of physical education. Gang fighting was actually one of our three-month sessions. We actually just was all on gang fight. Um, that's not true, but it's close. Um, but, I mean, I know what it's like to have people that genuinely say, look it, I, I, I'm going to kill you. And, and they weren't like, ha, 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 that's kind of funny. Oh, I'm going to kill you. I mean, like, look it, I'm buying a gun for one purpose. It's got your name on it. And I'm writing your name on all the bullets. I mean, that kind of thing. And you kind of think, this is really... Wow, you really thought this one through. Oh, neato. And, you know, and you go through that time, and I realize, I mean, when you're living that, I remember what it was like to carry a mirror in my hand. I'd walk down the street, and I'd carry a mirror, and I'd walk like this just to see who was behind me at every moment. Now, that wasn't paranoid. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's protection at that point. And, and, I, and I know what it's like when it's like every sound is something you've got to be aware of. Every person who walks in the room, you need to know who that is. Does that person know that guy? You know, uh, that kind of thing. Because that's a, and, and this is where Jacob is in chapter 28. I mean, every crackle, every, every movement, every blow of the wind that moves something and rustles something is like, whoa, who is that? Now, how well do you sleep under that situation? And in this situation, he does fall asleep. And in verse 12, notice what it says, chapter 28, verse 12. And he dreamt. And behold, a ladder was set up in heaven, and its top reached to heaven. And there were, the angels of God were ascending and descending upon it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I'm the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land in which you lie, I will give you and your descendants. Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east, north and south. 
And in you and your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, notice the statement, I'm with you. And I will keep you wherever you go. And I'll bring you back to this land. And I will not leave you. I've done all that I've spoken to you. Now, why would he say he's the God of Bethel? Because when Jacob, 20 years ago, was on his way to where he is now, God says, listen, I'm going I'm to protect you. I'm never going to leave you. And I'm going to get you back there. You need to trust me. So why would he say that? Because he's going, look, I'm closing this deal. I'm going to bring you back. Remember how I promised I would do that. Now, sometimes the Lord needs to bring you back to where you came from because you've forgotten how good he is. Do you remember when you sat in the lap of God if you said yes to Jesus Christ and every promise was just a yes and amen in your heart? You just knew it. And you knew when he said, I'll take care of you, you were like, yes, Lord. I'm going to guide you. And you said, yes, Lord. I'm going to take care of you. Yes, Lord. Remember that? I wonder how many times in Scripture God has brought someone back just to get them back to that place where they actually could just be who they were supposed to be in the beginning when we had a childlike faith, the kind that he called us to. Do you remember Elijah? He was the prophet who, heard, who hears. Remember that? <coughs> he shows up, and all we know about him is he's, he's a tish bite. I don't even know what that is. I don't know what a tish is, and I don't know how it gets bitten. All I know is he's a tish bite. Now, <laughs> don't even take that anywhere. Now, all of a sudden, all we know is there's this king and he's rotten. His name is Achav. And this Achav guy, and he's married Jezebel, and he's all kinds of rotten things. And all of a sudden, all we know later on is he's a kind of a hairy guy. And he just sort of shows up and he goes, it's not going to rain until I say so. And then he runs away. And you can imagine as a king, you think, wow, wow, that, was, that doesn't happen every day. And it's interesting because what we read is that God had specifically spoken that message. That was it. So don't say any more, no less. Just this. So he says it, and then he goes, now leave. And that would be weird, but that's, the, that's how we meet the guys, the guy who's, who hears, right? And then the next thing you know, all of a sudden, he's going and having this showdown. Remember with the prophets of Baal and with Asherus? There's 850 of those prophets, and he's kind of leaning over. Remember that? Maybe he's in the bathroom. You should probably cut yourself and yell louder, right? Remember that whole thing? And remember, then he, and when he prays this prayer, in that prayer, he says, Oh, God, isn't this exactly how you told me to do it? Just want to make sure. That we've, this is exactly it, that I've done this all like you told me. Here it again, he's responding to what God had said to him, right? In everything, he's a man who hears and he responds, and he's a powerful guy as he does. And then we read, for the first time we read this with him, then when he saw the threat of Jezebel. <coughs> now, I'm not too sure how he saw her threat, because she's like, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. I'm, he killed all my prophets. He's dead. He's dead. And you can see, you can see my go, look at, I am his non-profit over there. You know, I'm a kid. So all of a sudden he sees the threat and he flees. He sees the threat. Now he's a man who hears. And all of a sudden he looked and went, ah, and he fled. And he, flee, and he flees. And all of a sudden, remember, he's hiding in a cave. And God's like, hey, 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 Elijah, what are you doing in there? He's like, oh, there's the only one left. There's so many of them. It's funny because he killed all those prophets, right? But he's like, I'm just, I'm the only prophet left. I'm just, just me, just lone prophet. And, and, and God's like, and he listens to this whole sob story. And then he goes, Elijah, what are you doing here? It was the same question. And he does the same thing. He goes, I'm going to give you a chance to answer that again. You know, you ever have God do that? Parents know this, right? Did you break that? No, no, no. I didn't break. I didn't break. I didn't break. I didn't break that. Did you break that? Just give me a second chance. 
And then God goes, come on, I have this idea. And remember that? So Elijah sits down, right? He sits on this precipice of this mountain. And remember, there's this big wind and this big fire and this earthquake, right? Remember those things? This big fire. And he looks at those. And remember, what, we, what, what do we read about those things? God was not in them, right? So the ground's shaking. Oh, I'm just waiting for the ground to shake. Oh, I can feel it. I can feel the ground shaking. I can feel the earth moving. God's like, I'm not in that. Thanks a lot. And the fire. Oh, I can feel the heat. Oh, I can feel Give me some fire. Oh, I can feel the heat. God's like, I'm not in that. Oh, I want the wind. Give me the power. Hair's flying over. God's like, I'm not in that. Listen to that for a moment because that could happen at church. We could be so busy trying to get the heat and trying to get the earth shaking and trying to get the food and world blowing and all that. And God's like, no, that doesn't mean he's not in it all the time. Let's be honest. There are times that God will do that and he's in it. But this is not for this man at this moment because then what we read is, how did God come to him? You tell me. Still, still, not just a big, loud, crazy thing, a still, small voice. What is he doing? Why a still, small voice? Because he's getting Elijah back to listening. Right? I mean, I'm looking for my feeling. I'm looking for the heat. But he's like, look, you haven't been listening. You've been looking. You've been trying to feel it, but you're not listening anymore. And then it was when he was listening. He's like, I'm going to get you back to where you started, Elijah. Did you get that? I'm going to get you back. What about the fishermen? Right? I mean, Peter, he denies Jesus even that he even knew Jesus on three occasions. And Jesus could have come back at any one of those moments and said, hey, let's, let's, let's work this out right now. Remember that whole thing with Jacob? Let's wrestle. I'm getting right at your hip right away. I mean, think about the things he could have said. But where is it that Peter winds up meeting Jesus? Peter had fished all night and caught nothing. Does that sound familiar? He allowed Peter to go back to where he started so that he was back to working really hard and getting nothing out of it. Maybe that's where you started is what brought you to Christ. Was you, it was all about working so hard and you got nothing out of it. And then you, 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 went, you said, all right, Jesus, I'll have you. I want you. And there you are, and you took it, and you, you, you embraced him. And then you kind of went back. You're adding a little bit more of the world and adding more of the world. And now you're working really hard, and you're getting nothing. And you're like, God, why aren't you blessing this? And God's like, what do you mean I'm my blessing that? I'm still here waiting. Right? And you're like, but I'm working really hard for you. And God said, did I ever hire you? <laughs> I adopted you. There's a difference, right? Could you imagine? Show me where in Scripture it says, and when we accept the gift of Jesus Christ, he hires us. Hires us. He adopts us. That's different. Do you really think I, we, you know, we adopted a child so that we could get her to work around the house? You really think work got less when we adopted a second child? Really got, oh, five, if we got six or seven of those, we get a lot of work done around here. Oh, my goodness, six or seven. We're going to actually have to hire someone to help us out. Here's the point, friends. Here's the point. Is that maybe right now, there's, I, I'm sure that God would not have led us down this path today if there were people here in this room right now that really God's taking you back. And you're like, and for some of us, you know what? Some of us, man, that's dealing with an addiction. Some of us, it's just dealing with despondency or depression. Some of us, it's just dealing with emptiness or back to futility or whatever it is. And you're going, God, why? God, you're so real. Why this now? God says, because this was where you met me last time with a real faith. And, and if this is where you left it, we're going to go back to find it. Does that make sense? Because he loves you so much. He could have just dragged you the rest of the way where you didn't trust him. But what good is that for anyone? He wants your love. And if that's where you left it, he's going to, you know, why not just today say, Lord, wherever I'm at, could you just move me in this? 
I'm the God of Bethel. So what is that for you? I'm the God that met you at the dumpster. I'm the God that actually pounded you at church the way you need to be pounded. I'm the God that met you when you were bawling your eyes out when no one else could see. I was the God that met you when you were thinking about suicide. I was the God that met you when you said you had nothing. I was the God that everyone else thought you had everything, but you knew you were empty. I met you there. Remember that? Who is he to you? What's your Bethel? For Jacob, his was waiting to die. The God of Bethel, verse 13. Are we going to get through the who chapter? Probably not. We'll see. (coughs) Were you anointed the pillar when you made the vow to me? Now arise, get out of this land, and return to the land of your family. Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there still any portion or inheritance with us in our father's house? Are Are we not considered strangers by him? For he has sold us and also completely consumed our money. Notice they call it their money. For all the riches which God has taken from our father, it's really ours and our children's. Now then, what God has said to you, do it. Now, I think this is really interesting because everybody's going to say it's theirs but Jacob. Laban's going to say, it's my daughters, those are my kids, it's my stuff, those are my sheep. Funny. The girls are like, you know, those, those sheep are really actually ours. You know, you got them now. Now listen, traditionally in the Middle Eastern culture, when a girl gets married, a daughter gets married, she leaves the family forever. That's the tough part. By the way, it's one of the reasons why God calls us all sons. It's not sexist. It's actually better. If God said, guys are sons, but girls are daughters, well, then you're still a temporary member of the family to a Middle Eastern mind. But to God to say to all, you're all sons, that means you are never leaving this family. You should be thankful. I am. Now with that in this text, these girls have been treated as if they've been disowned like that, like they've been let go. But he's still trying to cash in on anything that they're worth. He's like, you know what? He's treated us like we've been this way, but he still says he owns us. Verse 17, so Jacob arose with his sons and his wives and his camels and carried away all the livestock and all his possessions in which he gained. And he has acquired livestock, which he had gained in Padamaram, to go to his father, Isaac, in the land of Canaan, which means he's going to have an angry Laban behind him and a killing brother in front of him. Now, he's surrounded by some pretty bad circumstances, wouldn't you say? You think your life's tough. <coughs> Verse 19, Levan had gone to shear his sheep. And Rachel had stolen the household idols that were her father's. What a sweetheart she is. Um, (coughs) But I do want to point out a simple thing, and you could miss it in verse 19. It appears to Laban a distinguishing between sheep. Do you notice that? If he went to shear his sheep and and Jacob's escaping with all of his, apparently Laban must not think they're his at this moment, or he would have sent them to have them sheared. Does that make sense? So even though he'll say, those are mine, strange, you didn't have them sheared when you were shearing your sheep. Well, just the same. Here she is, and she steals away the idols. Now, why would a girl steal the household idols? Think they're cute? Do you think she dismisses them? Chances are because she worships them. And that's a pretty sad point. See, Jacob has been so busy. Now, wait a minute. Put that into the equation for a moment. God has still been with Jacob for these 20 years, even while he's got a girl who's worshiping idols in the house. We don't read Jacob has, but we also don't read he hasn't. I pray he hasn't in this, but let me just say this. He's still living in the house, and he has very little influence over this girl that he seems to love so much. Boy, if you really love someone, wouldn't you want to give them the most important thing? Can I say that again? If you really say you love someone, wouldn't you want to give them the most important thing? 
And I know this because even though we'll realize that Jacob doesn't appear to know she stole these, in two chapters, God's going to say, now let's get going. And he's going to go, all right, now let's put away these household idols. Let's get rid of them. So somewhere between this chapter and chapter 35, he's going to be aware that they're there. And he doesn't put them away until God says, let's go. You'd think, man, the moment that, that I, you'd have seen him, like, what? What are these doing here? Get rid of these things. Oh, no. Jacob stole away unknown to Laban, the Syrian, and he did not tell him that he intended to flee, which is how you steal away. So he, he fled with all that he had, and he arose and crossed the river and headed towards the mountains of Gilead. Now, Laban was told on the third day, and we could point out some things about the third day. I just want you to know there are really only three that have been. The one where God invented the tree. I think that's interesting that that's on the third day since Jesus will hang on one. And chapter 22 where Abraham sees from afar the place where he'll sacrifice his only begotten son. And I find that interesting. Those are the only times, two times we've seen the third day until this time. And on this particular time, it's the time where you see someone fleeing and actually being set free from the deceiver. Because that's what Laban is, is the deceiver. I think that's interesting. The tree has been made where the, the son will be hung, and then Abraham sees the place to sacrifice his son, and this is the place where you're set free from the deceiver. Cool. Take that where you want it. Here it is. So, verse 23, he took his brethren with him, and he pursued him for seven days' journey and overtook him at the mountains of Gilead. It appears as if Laban's got a bigger army, so to speak. Remember, Jacob's got his 12 kids, 13, uh, 12, 11 boys and a, and a daughter and two wives. And so it says, but God had come to Laban, the Syrian and then dream at night. Now notice that. Because remember, God says, I'm the God who is going to protect you. Now he's going to remember, he's heading towards Esau. And now he's going to show how God's going to take care of it. Because God's going to do the same thing in essence with Esau. And he said, look, be careful that you did not speak neither good nor bad. What? Both? Well, if you speak good, I know that you're going to be trying to do it to butter him up to, to take something from him. If you speak bad, you'll think that you have a right to take him over. So Laban overtook Jacob. Now, Jacob had pitched his tent in the mountains. Now, why do you pitch your tent in the mountains? Because it's the one place you feel the safest. You can hide between a set of rocks, and that way if somebody's coming, you can hear them. Either you have gravity if they're trying to come up, if they're coming from the top, something will sort of spray as they, as they walk, and so it will wake you up and keep you. So in other words, understand, Jacob's there. Now, think about it. He's got his two wives, their maids. He's got his 12 kids and a whole lot of sheep. How well do you hide? I mean, you've got, and, and it's easy to pick out him because he's the one with the pink two-headed, six-legged sheep. I mean, you can't lose, right? He's, he's got the speckled sheep vest. And he's hiding in the mountains here, and now he's overtaken by the army, so to speak, of Laban. And it says, Laban pitched, by the way, in the mountains of Gilead. Verse 26, Laban said to Jacob, what have you done? Why have you stolen away unknown to me and carried away my daughters? Notice that, like captives taken with a sword. Why did you flee away secretly and steal away from me and not tell me? Oh, I would have sent you away with joy and songs and timbrel and harp. Yeah, right. So, and you did not allow me, notice, to kiss my sons and my daughters. Now you have done foolishly in so doing. It's in my power to do you harm. In other words, I could kill you right now. But the God of your father. Now notice he didn't say your God. Did you notice that? How faithful God is in a moment like this. He's like, you know, I noticed your God of your father. How do we know about the God of his father? Because the God of his father was the God who actually took his mom, remember, at that well 60 years ago and blessed her. 
And he looks and he goes, I see that God's blessing you, but it doesn't seem like you've really personally made God your own. But he certainly seems to make you his own. What a sad place would that be, huh? And by the way, that sounds an awful lot like Jacob and Leah, doesn't it? Jacob, Leah seems to really love her husband, really wants him to be attached. Jacob, on the other hand, seems to be using her for something else. And can, can I just say this? We're adults here, and I'll try not to develop this too much. But this happens a lot in the church if we're not careful. I mean, from Leah's perspective, what she really wants is she just wants someone to love her. That's clear. If she names these kids, God has heard my plight. Now my husband will love me. That's what she's crying out as she's having these kids. <coughs> he, on the other hand, what does he seem to be using Leah for? Well, I think you can figure that out because babies are happening. Now, the reason I say that is God wants our love. That's made, he's made that clear in Deuteronomy 6. The greatest commandment is to love him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, right? The question is, is that what we're, are we busy offering that or just trying to get something from him? God, I'm in this relationship, but all I really want is to get more tinglys and more fuzzies and more whatevers and this and that and more stuff and more. And God's like, you know, that sounds an awful lot like this relationship here, doesn't it? And I, and I, I want you to know that really it hurts my heart to say that because I, I'm as guilty as anyone. Oh, I would, you know, and, and I can tell you I've been in situations where it's like, God, I just really want to feel you more. And look at any intimate relationship, there's still a desire for greater intimacy. But if it's the only thing I want from God, I mean, any relationship where all they want is what they can feel from you, that's not a healthy relationship at best. Well, so look at, I can kill you, but I, God told me not to. The God of your father spoke to me last night and said, be careful that you do not speak to Jacob, neither good nor bad. And now you have surely gone because you greatly long for your father's house. Why did you steal my gods? Hey, can I just make a simple statement? And we're, uh, we're going to get fairly close, but not to end. If you have a God that can be stolen, you've got the wrong one. <laughs> you, can it be any more simple than that? I mean, you wake up and go, where's my God? <laughs> Dang it. You are in trouble. If you've got to prop him back up, you've got the wrong God. If you've got to plug him in, you got to alarm him. Whoop, whoop, whoop. You got the wrong guy. If you got to put some GPS tracker in him so you can find him when someone else takes him, you got the wrong guy. See, if you've got the wrong God, you'll spend your whole time trying to protect it. If you've got the right God, he'll spend all his time protecting you. Make your choice. I mean, if you're thinking, I, I, I just got to protect God from what? Exactly. What do you think God needs to be protected from? He could clear his stone. I mean, when the Antichrist, everyone's going to go, oh, who can make a battle with this guy? He make, gives an image and it seems like it has life to it and he does all these crazy stuff. Who can just, who can fight this guy? And he seems to overcome the saints. And we read Jesus knocks him over with his breath. That starts, right? And then he goes, here I am. Boom. And the whole thing's over. Yeah, that was a big fight. I mean, every like kind of look at me. We kind of look at it like Jesus is on the ropes. It's like, oh, and it looks like Satan's got him in a headlock. Oh, and he threw him down with the pile driver. Jesus, one, two. All right, look, he's waving. He's waving. He's like, oh, three, four. Oh, he's getting up. Oh, my goodness, he's getting up. Oh, wait a minute. That's not the battle in Scripture. Satan goes, hey, and Jesus goes, you're done. Boom, it's over. Okay. An unknown angel. He doesn't even have a name. I probably does. God doesn't even mention it. Grabs Satan by the neck and throws him in the pit for a thousand years. You think it would be like, super debuff, you know, <clears throat> Hans and Franz, 
angels have grabbed Satan, tossed him in, don't mess with me. There was no, we just read it. It could be like name like Chet. Hi. Okay. So, okay. Eh. It doesn't matter. The bottom line is, this is God we're talking about. He created all of this. Have we forgotten? Oh, my goodness. Where did I go with that? So, <coughs> so my power to do good, but you stole my God. Okay, okay, in the end of it all, I kind of figured out why you fled from me. I mean, you miss your dad, that's why. I mean, it has nothing to do with me. I'm a nice guy. I'm a good guy. I'm a good guy. You really just, you just miss dad. I understand. But why'd you take my gods? Oi. Where in the world am I? Okay. <clears throat> Verse 32. Well, Jacob says, in, the, in verse 31, Jacob answers and he says to Laban, because I was afraid. And a fear, by the way, will make you do a lot. It'll make you lie and say that your wife's your sister. <coughs> That's what he's had in the past. That's what his grandpa did. He says, perhaps you would take your daughters from me by force. Notice, notice Jacob calls them yours. Did you notice he doesn't call them mine? Laban says mine. And somehow in this 20 years, Jacob's sucked into this. And he actually believes Laban. Yeah, you know, I guess they still are yours. And I, I, you take them. But let me tell you what, in verse 32, whomever you find your gods, don't let them live. <clears throat> in the presence of your brother and identify what I have that's yours. Take it from you. For Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. Dun, dun, dun. And we are at a cliffhanger. No. <clears throat> I want to leave us here for the moment just to be cruel. This is what we know at this moment. Jacob favors Rachel, that little sweetie that stole these gods, the stealable gods. And she's got him at the moment. And at this point now, Laban's here, and he's got two problems. Notice he's got two charges. Here are the charges. Number one, you stole away from me. Come on, I was going to give you a party or something. What's this? We know better, right? He fled because he knew he wasn't going to get that. He, he actually, it says he fled because he said, look, and I'm leaving. He's like, well, you can go, but leave all this stuff here, right? It sounds like Pharaoh. We'll see that soon. But in the end of all, he's like, look, I just feel like I just needed to flee. Hey, you know what? The Bible actually says that fleeing is not a bad thing. Have you noticed that? When it says flee youthful lusts, it doesn't say negotiate. I, every guy that I see that's addicted seems like he's still negotiating. You know, I, I, I just keep on. I'm an alcoholic. He's like, but you know what? I keep sitting in the bar, and I can't understand how I keep getting drunk. <laughs> that's like saying, you know, I keep laying down on the highway, and I can't figure it out. I keep getting run over. How in the world does that work? Stop negotiating. Flee it. Flee youthful lusts, whatever they are. Now, by the way, what I've learned is when you're dealing with someone that's like the deceiver, why in the world would you try to negotiate with the deceiver? You actually think you're going to be able to sit down with the devil and work it out? You really think he's going to be, oh, well, now that I see your point of view, clearly you're right. I'm going to go pick on someone else. Do you really think your flesh will ever negotiate with you? Scripture says your flesh nature needs to be crucified. That's it. Your flesh nature is never into timeshare. It doesn't share or play well with others. It's into total domination. And that's it. It sits at night and goes, <laughs> that's what your flesh nature does. And you go, maybe I'll just give it a little bit of space. Little bit of space, sure. That's like someone knocking in the house and going, I want to kill your whole family. Can I come in for a couple minutes? And you're like, just for a couple minutes. Just sit on the couch. Wait, what, what part of you thinks that way? Well, we do that with our flesh. Flesh is like, I'm here to kill you. Oh, we'll just come on. I'll just get it until you maim me. <laughs> Stop. 
According to Scripture, the enemy, our flesh nature, and the world and its policies are things we are to flee from, not negotiate with. And our victory is complete and absolute surrender to Jesus Christ, to trust him, his way, him to be the way. Beloved, look it. As we go to prayer, and it's been so fun going through this part of the text, but we're at a place now where, think about it, something looks like Rachel's about to die in front of Jacob. That's going to be a sad moment because she's got the, she's got the gods. And, and, and Jacob has now openly in ignorance said, look, you find a person that took him, you kill him. Imagine what that's going to happen. Your chances are you will read ahead and not wait for me, but you should. <coughs> but let me just take us to this, and we're, we want to pray because we want to apply this. I mean, in the end of this, what we're at is, is he's been on a 20-year backslide. He's been on 20 years. And this is, here's the strangest thing. Listen, please, listen to this. What led him to the backslide was just trying to, to save himself. Let me think about it. He was on his way trying to save his life. And Jesus has warned us about that. If you seek to save your life, what does he say is going to happen? You're going to lose it. But you know what the problem is? There isn't a person in the world at a bad moment at best that isn't going to applaud you if you try to do something for the purpose of just saving yourself. You know, i got to think, and you, people will say this, and even Christians will go, you know, I'm just a little worried about you. I think you really need to think about yourself a little bit more. You know, don't go overboard with this Jesus thing, you know. Has anyone told you that? Hey, look, at, may I just say, as your pastor, you have permission to go as total lunatic as you want to when it comes to Jesus. Now, I'm not talking about blowing yourself up in a mosque. That's not Jesus, <laughs> right? What I'm saying is, according to Christ, the one thing I see you can't overdose on is Jesus Christ. You can't overdose on him. The more you fall in love with Christ, the more you become like him, the weirder you're going to be to the world. Now, some of you may have been weird before that, but this is a better weird. And, and this kind of weird, by the way, the moment, but here's the thing. Maybe you were walking with the Lord and things were amazing and you just expected great things from God. And now you've been like, you're kind of, the, the recipe's a little different. It's like a little bit of faith in Jesus, but a whole lot of making sure you cover your bases. And as you're covering your bases, you're finding a little less power of God in that. And you're finding a little less joy. And now you're kind of all convoluted and confused and going, I don't really know what to do now. Well, whatever happened at the point where you said, look, Lord, I'm going to trust you. And people go, that sounds dumb. Actually, strangely enough, it's the smartest thing you can do. Now listen, remember, God knows how to speak fluent you. And the Lord may say, look it, get up and do something. Well, then do it. You know? I mean, it's like, like look it, there are people, right, there's the other side of it, right? Well, I'm just going to trust God. That's funny because if you wanted to make spaghetti, you didn't sit down and go, I'm just going to trust that God's going to take the noodles and drop them in boiling water. And then he's going to take some pasta and some sauce and he's going to mix it together. I'm just going to sit here and wait. Mm-mm. Here's my plate. God says, sounds like it's a season of fasting. (laughs) But God knows how to speak fluent in you. So don't just say, look at God, I'm going to wait, but I'm not open to doing what you tell me. But in this situation, Jacob started by trying to preserve his life, and look at where that got him. But I know this, the Lord wants to take you back right now for a moment, every one of us, to that place where you just trusted him, where you trusted him. You trusted him to save people without trying to find all the charts and graphs and all the things that the world says you have to do. When success was actually just being obedient, not how many people served under you and whatever else, and how many people called your name great. God's not about big on making, giving you a bigger fan base. God really wants, he wants 
us to be completely and absolutely surrendered to him. And when that happens, we see that. Now look at if you look back for the last whatever time, what you're going to see is he's been faithful. You could say, oh, woe is me. Look at how rough it's been. My wages have changed and things have been tough and people look at me weird and blah, blah, blah. But in the end of it all, has he not been with you? And you can make a choice today which way you want to chronicle your past. That's the way I'm going to look at it. Because for all the crazy things that I've been carried through, I've been carried through them. And to be honest, I am so thankful. In this journey he's on right now, from Haran down to the area of Gilead, and he's down there now, surrounded, could have died, but God has clearly been with him here. He would have been a dead man before this chapter was done. And God's going to have to intervene on Jacob, who has not been in hot pursuit, and on Rachel, who's been in hot disobedience. Today, the Lord wants to take you back to that place where you just trust him. But let me ask you this. Do you even have a place to go back to? Have you ever accepted the gift of Jesus Christ? Have you accepted his gift on the cross, his death for your sin, and his resurrection to offer you new life? If you haven't, I'd love the honor of leading you in a prayer. If you have, I'd like to give you this opportunity today to renew your vows. To say, all right, Lord, in 2012, I want to go back to a place of absolutely full, complete reliance on you. So before I pray, I want to give a moment of silence to let the Lord speak to you the way he wants to. And then we're going to go to prayer. And I ask you to listen to the prayer. And at the end, if you agree, I want you to give me a stout, confident amen. So let's take that moment now in silence and let the Holy Spirit speak to us. Lord, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for the privilege of being able to come to your throne of grace boldly. It's not a throne of works, a throne of earning. It's a throne of grace. And you have today reminded us that what you give us is not because we deserve it. It's because you are good. We recognize without you, we are people that are guilty. We're people that deserve wrath. But you are a God of grace. And you'd like to give us what we don't deserve. So openly again, I want to confess that you sent your only begotten Son, Jesus the Christ, to die on the cross for the sins of mankind, including my sins, And that he died, was buried, and rose again, just like your scripture promised. 
And so as he died for my sins, they're paid in full. As he rose again, you offer me a new life, free from that bondage. And I say yes today, openly professing my faith to you, my faith in you, in your gift, and in your grace. I pray that you keep my heart soft or make my heart soft. You give me ears that could hear you. And that faith that just trusts. I trust that you know how to speak to us, to me. That where you would lead me, I would follow. Even if it seems so potentially hazardous or crazy or dangerous, I'm going to trust you. And where my trust will be challenged, give me greater faith, I pray. But I am happy that you have adopted me and not hired me. I'm so thankful that you cleanse me and change me. Adopt me and make me new. So I say yes to Jesus, your gift. And yes to you, your adoption. I say have me completely. Make this year the best year I've ever had with you. May I always know that nothing is more important to you than my walk with you. So I trust you now. May I walk out of here a different person and make the changes in my life you need to make, you want to make, that cause me to love you more, follow you more passionately, and be the person you intend for me to be. And I am yours, even as you are mine. In Jesus' name. If you agree, I ask you to say confidently, Amen.